I will take up the second lesson printed in the bulletin in just a moment as I go by verse by verse, showing the power of the Holy Spirit working through these verses. But let me read just an abbreviated form of the second chapter of Acts. While the day of Pentecost was running its course, they were all together in one place, when suddenly there came from the sky a noise like that of a strong driving wind which filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues like flames of fire, dispersed among them and resting on each one. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to talk in other tongues as the Spirit gave them power of utterance. Now there were living in Jerusalem devout Jews, drawn from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the crowd gathered, all bewildered, because each one heard the apostles talking in his own language. They were all amazed and in their astonishment exclaimed, Why, they are all Galileans, are they not these men who are speaking? How is it then that we hear them, each of us, in his own native language? And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What can this mean? Others said contemptuously, They have been drinking. But Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, mark this and give me a hearing. These men are not drunk as you imagine, for it's only nine in the morning. No, this is that the prophet spoke of. God says, this will happen in his last days. I will pour out upon everyone a portion of my spirit, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, I will endue even my slaves, both men and women, with a portion of my spirit. Amen. May God bless to us an understanding of his word. Last year on June the 10th, a Sunday morning at 10.30 o'clock in Fort Worth, Texas, Dr. L. Nelson Bell, the retiring moderator of the Presbyterian Church in the United States, addressed the 450 commissioners who were present, plus the delegates and representatives and friends who were there. And he spoke these words. On the day of Pentecost, when Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled, plain ordinary people had their lives completely changed, so changed that all those about them could hear and see and sense the difference. Some observers asked, what does this mean? Others said they are drunk. But Peter said these men are not drunk. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Then Dr. Bell said, I have been told that I am the oldest man ever to have served as moderator of this denomination. I will be 79 next month. I have a dream a dream of a transformed and revitalized church that once more emphasizes those things which are of eternal importance, the things which were central at the first Pentecost, the calling on the Lord for salvation, the mighty works and wonders performed by Christ during his earthly ministry, the death of Christ God's Son, 
the witness to the fact of the resurrection, the conviction of sin. Brethren, what shall we do? The repentance of sin, the need for God's forgiveness, which is to be had through faith in Christ, the wideness of God's offer, for the promise is to you and to your children. Have we gotten away from the simplicity of the gospel and the need it meets for all who believe? And then Dr. Bell gave his great address. Well, that great address on that day in Fort Worth was strictly in keeping with what had happened on that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in great power. He did not simply come at random, but the Holy Spirit came to those whom God had called. That's one of those verses that I hope you will always remember. Romans 8.28 is a verse that most of us cite and quote when things go wrong and we seek the solace and comfort of God, but we often fail to see it in its great context of the work of the Holy Spirit recorded in the 8th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. For in that verse he tells us not only that all things work together for good, doesn't say that all things are good, but that all things work together for good to them that love God. How conscious are you of the fact that you love God? To them who are the called, how conscious are you of the fact that you have been called by God unto salvation and responded to that call? called according to his purpose. Have we answered that call? God not only calls us by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Think of that wonderful gathering on that day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. You remember they had received the instruction from, Jeru from Jesus to go into Jerusalem and wait. Now I can just imagine a person like Peter who was an activist, always wanting to do something, saying to John, John, I'm tired praying. I don't want to wait anymore. Let's go out and do something. And John said, you know what he said? He said, wait. So they waited, and they prayed. And then it all happened on the day of Pentecost. 120 in a house were visited with a remarkable theophany. The presence of God came. You remember the sound attracting attention. There's nothing more eerie than the sound of the wind, is there? Have you ever slept in a house at night? Little boys and girls can tell you about this when the wind goes, ooh. It's an eerie sound, isn't it? Sometimes I think the church is like a haunted house. and We need to hear the wind of the Spirit once again. Listen to the wind, Nicodemus, said Jesus. The wind of the Spirit, they heard the sound. And this caused a crowd to rush together. And then there was a visible manifestation, not only an audible manifestation of a sound of rushing wind, but there was a visible manifestation of something that could only be described as looking like tongues of fire. It came and parted and went on each one of them. I took Rod uh, Williams to the airport Friday afternoon. He is a very able theologian. And Rod said, and I've always thought this, that there are two gifts of the Holy Spirit. One is the gift of communication which occurs here at the day of Pentecost. The other, the other is a gift of ecstatic utterance 
which occurs also for some believers, not all, but some. We cannot make it the norm of all Christian experience, but we would be foolish to deny that that gift comes. And so they received a gift of communication. At Babel, there was great confusion when people in their pride tried to build a tower up to confound God. But at Pentecost, God reaches down and the Holy Spirit comes and communication takes place. And each one is hearing in the native tongue in which he was born the mighty acts of God for his salvation. Who are some of these people? I mentioned Nicodemus a moment ago and Peter and all the apostles, of course. But I expect that besides these, there must have been Joseph of Arimathea. There must also have been some of those lepers that he cured, some of those blind men that he made to see. Maybe the little boy who brought, brought the loaves and fishes and gave them to Jesus. Perhaps some of the children that he gathered into his arms who ran their fingers through his hair as he blessed them. They were all classes and types of people who were touched by the power of the Holy Spirit that day at Pentecost. And what happened? Peter is transformed. Peter has transformed this person who had been so quick to fail before is now emboldened with great power and it is Peter plus the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. No person who cowers beneath a little maid who teases him about belonging to Jesus but a man who fearlessly stands up and testifies before the very people who put Jesus to death that it is in this Jesus Christ alone that there is salvation. That ring of authority, that note of liberty, which ought to be ringing out from the church is, as Dr. Bells pointed out in that address in Fort Worth, muffled too often today under a guise of sophistication. One of the great signs of liberty in the world is found in Philadelphia, where they rang a bell on July the 4th, 1776. And they put a quotation on that bell from the Bible, proclaim liberty throughout the land. They rang it so loud that it cracked. Well, the only real liberty that any of us can ever know is that liberty which comes to us through what was announced on that day of Pentecost, which is salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that salvation comes to those who answer the call according to his purpose. And the invitation is worldwide. Come unto me, all ye that labor. God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not only does he call, but he also sustains. When I think about uh, Paul and those wonderful verses from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul, who is so conscious of the fact that though he had been given a great demonstration of the Spirit of God in his own life and had gifts that defied verbal description, how he had received a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, he says, to buffet him, that he had to learn a lesson, a lesson which is one of those four verses we ought to remember, that my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Too much of what we have done has been done in the power of the flesh. And when we are humble before the Lord, how mightily, how mightily can he use us? A distinguished international statesman like Robert E. Spear was much impressed with a shoe salesman from Chicago named Dwight L. Moody, a humble instrument in the hand of Almighty God who led men and women everywhere to faith in Jesus Christ, weak because he was uneducated, unsophisticated, and yet yielded. He never sought to make a tool of the Holy Spirit. I don't even like that talk. But he always sought for himself to be the tool of the Holy Spirit. And because Moody was humble, he received an unusual visitation of the Lord. I was impressed the other day when I was reading some words of Woodrow Wilson. How Woodrow Wilson had walked into a barber shop waiting to get a haircut. And Mr. Moody was in the barber shop too. He had come in to get his haircut. The man who was later to become president of the United States listened to the conversation that transpired between the shoe salesman touched by the Holy Spirit and who was a preacher of the gospel. The tenderness and gentleness with which he spoke to the barber, the questions that he asked. When he got ready, ready to leave and the barber dusted him off and put his coat on, and Woodrow Wilson got into the barber's chair, he thought to himself, that man preached a sermon just by a tender, loving attitude that was shown here. He said it was almost like the barbershop had been transformed into a church just because of the presence of that man. Do you know what the word grace is? My grace. The French have a word called elan. Jesus could be comfortable with a crooked politician like Zacchaeus and see him transformed. He could talk to a prostitute, a woman at the well who had been married five times. He could talk to all classes of people, move in and out amongst them with a grace that was there. How the grace of God was manifested in him. The Holy Spirit, he empowers us. He tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. For in our weakness, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. So Paul says, I will most gladly therefore glory in my infirmities, count it all joy, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And you know Isaiah knew the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah lived in a time not unlike our own, a time in which he saw his nation threatened and troubled, when war and turmoil were on every side, when the people of his nation just took for granted that God somehow had to bless them whether they deserved it or not. And in the 26th chapter of Isaiah, in the third verse, God speaks through his prophet Isaiah to comfort his people who are humbled. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. 
Isn't that wonderful? Job could say that I will trust him though he slay me. We complain and are bitter about things that come to us in life. And yet look at this. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts thee. And then Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord, wait upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Did you ever see an eagle? They're a tremendously impressive bird. Powerful wings. They soar to tremendous heights. Incredible vision. These monarchs of the sky seek the vast expanses in which to soar. And Isaiah speaks a word of comfort to the troubled people of God and says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. You know, the carrier of good news has an added incentive to run, doesn't he? So we can say how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news. Think about those men. They weren't a bunch of paid bureaucrats from Jerusalem's first church. They were fishermen. They were people who worked with their hands. There were some intellectuals who were added to the group. But they went out and witnessed because their hearts were set on fire. They could run and not grow weary. Now think about it. There that day in Jerusalem at Pentecost, 120 people. Probably all the Christians on earth were right there. Now where are their Christians? You can't name a country on the face of the planet earth where there is not someone who has not heard his voice and responded. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. They have taken that gospel and are still taking it. And that's what we want to be doing in Lausanne, is praying and thinking through how to keep on getting the message out. And then, on this last day, I think of another verse, a verse that Paul had to write to the church, the most churchly of all of his letters was the one he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Then Ephesians, do you know what he said? Paul said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. You can't grieve a thing. I can't grieve this piece of wood. But you grieve a personality. You grieve a person. And Paul says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means not obeying or listening to his voice and responding to his call and following his direction. 
poor Jeb Magruder, last week was sentenced, and before the judge read a statement in which he said he had lost his moral compass, if you take a compass and that little needle turns to magnetic north, it gives you sure direction. But if you have no magnetic north and no magnetized needle, then it flops around on that relativistic scale, and there's no compass to steer by. He was right. He lost his compass. And not only Jeb Magruder, but people all over America have. The only true north from which to take our bearings, the only true magnetic pole from which to take our directions is from the word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. And if he had only remembered those words of Scripture that said, Thou shalt not bear false witness, he wouldn't have lied to a grand jury under oath, swearing before God that he was telling the truth. This is a little book about Beverly Shea, the hymn singer that all of us love so much. I was thinking about how sensitive he was and about how horrible the language of those Watergate transcripts with their obscenity and blasphemy and profanity. And then I thought about this sensitive soul here. In 1936, if you were alive, you know what a hard time 1936 was. A lot of people were hungry. We were in the grip of a tremendous depression. Bev Shea was working for Mutual of New York City, an insurance company, for a pitiful little salary each week. It was a time when people jumped out of windows and committed suicide because they saw no way out financially. He had a tremendous voice and he loved to sing. He got an interview from a network radio show, the Lynn Murray Singers. And in it, they, he'd gone to the audition, not really expecting anything, but just thought he would try out. He sung one of his favorite songs, and it made a tremendous success. He got a call offering him a contract with the Lynn Murray Singers. But do you know what they gave him to sing? They gave him to sing one of the pieces from... Rudolph Flimmel's Vagabond King. And in it, he was to sing a line that simply said, and to hell with Burgundy. And this man was so sensitive about the use of bad language. He thought about his father, who was a primitive Methodist preacher. He thought about his brother, who was a simple, godly man and also a preacher, and his sister. And when they called him, he says, I swallowed hard and answered, I thank you for the invitation, but I've decided I won't be able to accept the job. Please thank Mr. Murray. 
and tell him I appreciate his offer. They call back again, trying to sell me on the idea. But I felt I held firm, even though I was greatly tempted. The next few months were filled with many dark days. I was positive I had done the yet the right thing, and yet I was puzzled as to why God would require me to make a tough choice. But do you know what he said? He said, I realized that if I did this, the next compromise might be greater. He still lives in the same house in Western Springs, Illinois, where he had gone from New York to work for the Moody Bible Institute. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Someone sent me some roses from Tyler, Texas, and I tried to plant roses. I told some people the other day that I knew that you wouldn't find God alone through nature because I get too mad when people step on my flowers. Uh, uh, I, I was looking at these roses the other day, and I didn't know what was the matter with them. It was, they all turned they little insects that were biting and Larry Wilson, who's an expert on roses, came by and he told me, he said, you're going to have to get something to put on there. Mr. Barden came by and he said, you're going to have to get some stuff and put on there to keep these things off. You can't have roses unless you dust them. I didn't know that. It's the first time I've ever grown them. So I had to do it. Well, you know, the grieving of the Holy Spirit, these insects that come in, the pornography that's so easy to slip into, the dirty films on television, the dirty language on television, the dirty language in the dormitory, the little lie here and the little lie there, and then we're gone. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. That's the last verse. Well, what was the result of these dedicated people at Pentecost? I'll tell you. The last chapter hadn't been written. John saw it, though. He saw in a vision what's going to happen at the end of the world. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb. One of the elders answered and said unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Isn't that wonderful? And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more pain nor sorrow, for the former things are passed away. But you can rededicate your life. You can make this a very personal Pentecost day for you. You can go somewhere today and ask Jesus to really be in charge of your life and the Holy Spirit to come completely in well you. We're thankful that these came.
and we're going to bow and pray God's blessing on this. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Pam and for Mary Beth and for Brick for their courage in taking this step of faith by which they seek to show publicly that they are not ashamed to own Jesus Christ as their Lord and they wish to dedicate their lives to him in this matter. Will you grant them such evident presence of the Holy Spirit that they shall know that this day something wonderful has happened inside them and that from this day forward they may walk in renewed strength, sustained by your grace. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be in the Bible with you all, now and forever. 